now more than ever before, more than you did last year. Amen. He's been good to us, hasn't he? Let's just go to him in prayer. Father, we just come before you tonight. Lord, truly you have been better to us than we have been to ourselves. Lord, you have been a God who has been rich in mercy. Lord, as we look back over the previous year, we've seen the great hand of God upon each and every one of our lives. Lord, we've seen miracles. We've seen deliverances, Father. We've seen the signs of your word being performed right here in our midst. And we were, Lord, we today are a people that believe. And Lord, we believe tonight that your word is eternally true and you're going to do exactly what you declared you would do, Father. Lord, faith is not believing that God can, but it's believing that God will honor his word and do exactly what he said he would do. So, Lord, we just ask that you would come by tonight and elevate our faith. Father, anoint us to speak the words of life. Anoint our ears to be recipients of that word. Father, may we just all be in one channel tonight. Lord, may our focus be upon you, not upon man, not upon issues out in politics or the world. But, Lord, may we focus tonight just for a little while on the word of God. Lord, may you focus our vision tonight on who you are and who we are in the plan that you have for our lives. So, Lord, we, can, we commit this service now into your hands, Lord. We just pray you'll bless the lips to speak, the ears to hear, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to look here in Ephesians 1. <clears throat> Amen. You glad to be here tonight? Amen. We're going to look here in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through verse 14. We're also going to look at Proverbs 29 and verse 18. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So I don't know what 2019 looked like for you, but the Bible tells me tonight that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, or to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Which he has purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times. That's the wrapping up of all the seven church ages. The dispensation of the fullness of times. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Amen. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Let's turn there. And this is where I want to focus my thought, if I could, this, this evening just for a little while. Proverbs 29 and verse 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. 
But happy is he that keepeth the law, or but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So we're going to look here tonight as where there is no vision, the people perish. You can be seated this evening. My thought for the, tonight and for, 20, for uh, 2020 as we go into this new year, my thought for you is to don't lose your vision. You know, when we read this, many times we have heard this quoted over and over where there is no vision, the people perish, and things of that nature. And, and you know, if we don't really dig into the word and understand the real gravity of what it means, we think, well, maybe it's something off in the future. If, you know, you don't have plans for the future, you're going to perish. Or, you know, you envision something down the road and you're, you're planting your potatoes, you're preparing for it. You know, if we don't have a future plan, things are going to perish. And, you know, and it's a misconception. But the word vision here, what it means is prophecy. Where there is no prophecy or divine communication, the people perish. And so we find here where there or without prophecy, the people perish. And there cannot be a prophecy unless first God send us a prophet. And we know that Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord thy God will not do anything. He will not reveal his mysteries until he first reveals these things to his servants, the prophets. So we find here that if, if we, we not have open vision or divine communication with God, then we perish. So I want to say it like this. Without this message, we perish. That word perish there means to suffer complete ruin. It means to suffer destruction, to be dissipated, to revolt, to be unbridled. You say, well, Brother Joe, are you saying that everybody that doesn't believe this message is going to hell? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that if you don't believe this message, you're not going to go to heaven. I'm not saying that at all. Because the Bible clearly states that there's a multitude without number there. But what I am saying, if you're here tonight and your desire and your vision is to make a rapture, then you've got to receive that divine communication that God provided in the end time. Because where there is no divine communication, the people will perish. Because it takes that divine communication. It takes that, that prophecy and that revelation to come through an anointed vessel. To speak to an anointed heart. To prepare a people for a body change. It's not going to happen without a vision. A prophecy. It's not going to happen if we're so tied up in denominational ideas and political ideas and worldly affairs. I'm not here to preach worldly affairs. I'm not here to preach political ideas. I'm here to preach to you the divine revelation of this word. Because God has sent us a messenger in this end time to do what? To turn your hearts back to the faith. And Jude would tell us, contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for it. Oh, church, don't give up. You had a hard 2019 or 2018. But earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Contend for it. Don't lose your vision. Don't lose your vision. Yeah, I believe you can live a Christian life. But without a vision, you'll go through a rapture. I mean, you'll go through a, 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 a tribulation period. But with the vision, you'll go in a rapture. So as we go into 2020, and you know, there's going to be a lot of cliches on 2020. But 2020 is considered perfect vision. So as we go into this new year, I pray God will give us perfect vision. 
Not only perfect vision of the word of God. Not only perfect vision of the message of the hour. But perfect vision of my part. What do I play in the economy of God? What is my role? What is my position? What did God call me for? Because it's going to take that in this end time. If you plan on escaping the judgment waters. So may this be a year that we have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, hearts that can receive the word of God. But we know that the enemy loves to come in and plant his seeds of discrepancy. He likes to come in and cause divisions and he tries to cloud your vision and distract you and distract the believer from recognizing who they are. From recognizing their purpose in the plan of God. From recognizing even the word of God in the revelation in which God has brought in this end time. He's here to distract you and to cloud your vision. And I know I want you to notice now. If he is successful in planting his seeds of doubt and confusion. Then those who once sat in the seat next to you. Are no longer there because they pondered on these doubts. They pondered on this confusion. They never were grounded. They never had that revelation of who God is and what God was going to do in this end time because we know that the scriptures line up and tell us that in order for there to be a rapture to take place, then God has to send a messenger that's going to turn the hearts of the people back. This messenger, as we find it in, in, in John or in Luke 17, excuse me, we find that he's going to discern the very thoughts and the intents of the heart. Then we jump over in Revelation 10 and we find here that all the mysteries of God have to be finished. Well, if they make their declaration that William Branham is not that man, then you tell me who is that one. Because that one has to come. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. They come to utter destruction, dissipation, unbridled lust. So God has to send somebody that's going to prepare the body for the rapture. But we find here, Satan knows that if he can, if he's successful in creating doubt and confusion about the messenger, then you begin to doubt the message. And then it doesn't just stop there. You begin to doubt who you are, your place. Then you begin to doubt who God is. Is he even real? Is he a fairy tale that's just handed down from generation to generation to generation? Is this book real? Because so many critics want to claim that there's so many discrepancies in the word, inconsistencies in the word. See, it takes revelation. We look here in Daniel 5 and verse 10. It says, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lord, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and she said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom. Notice God's pattern. God has always had somebody on the scene with revelation and insight. We find that there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of holy gods. And in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of God was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans and soothsayers, for so much as an excellent spirit and knowledge 
and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. I'm going to tell you, that same God that anointed Daniel as he was the dissolver of doubt, he's the same God here in the end time. He's the same God here tonight, and he's a dissolver of doubts. You got doubts and you got confusion. I'm going to tell you, church, my God, the Holy Spirit is here present tonight to anoint your faith so you can believe in all your doubts about this message. All your doubts about the prophet, they will vanish because it takes the Holy Ghost. It takes the life of Christ coming on the inside. He's the dissolver of doubts. He'll take all your confusion away. As we find that's the problem. That's the problem with so many. They never got the Holy Ghost. They never got the Holy Ghost. Dissolves were never, their, their thoughts were never dissolved or their doubts were never dissolved. When those seeds were doubt were planted, they stayed in the back of the mind. But you let something happen 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And because that Holy Ghost was never there. The dissolver of doubts were never there. Then something strikes that seed that was planted. That doubt that was planted. And all of a sudden, up from the church pew, they walk out never to be seen again. So they never got it settled. And that's what the Holy Ghost is for. It's to settle your questions. I remember when I first came to this message. One of my good college buddies, he and I used to study the scriptures every, all the time together. He called me up crying. You're the, you know, just going on and on and on. And I'm going to tell you, it shook me. You remember I called you, Brother Tim. Brother Tim was, he was trying to help me, but it, you know, and it was great that he tried to help me, but I had to find God for myself. I had to come to that revelation. Either this word is true or it's not true. And I begin to study and I begin to pour myself. I begin to cry out, God, I want the Holy Ghost. I'm hearing about this Holy Ghost. I didn't hear about the Holy Ghost in the Baptist church. I didn't hear about the Holy Ghost in the Presbyterian church. I don't know anything about this Holy Ghost. But God, they saying I need it. I need it. I want it tonight. God, give me the Holy Ghost that I can overcome who I am. Because I want to overcome. I recognize the failures that I had. I recognize the doubts that I, I suffered with and I struggled with. But I'm here to tell you tonight, the Holy Ghost is that dissolver of doubts tonight. Amen. Listen to what the prophet of God was saying in the invisible union. He said, you let the Holy Spirit, he's a prophet of the day. You let him come into your heart right now and examine with this word of God. And the doubts about the message will be all dissolved. He dissolves all doubts. You find out it's exactly on the word for this day. But what we find, church, is that these men on the platform, they're not perfect. I know you're disappointed. I'm not perfect either. Just ask my wife. But wait till the service is over. But we find God chose man. To preach the gospel. God could have chose the sun. He could have chose the moon. He could have chose any form of wildlife. Or animal life. Or whatever botany life. Whatever he wanted. But he chose man. Man who was created in the image of God. Man who was on free moral agency. Man who has different personalities. Different characteristics. Different ideas. Different natures. Yet God chose man. 
We find here in 2 Timothy 3, 16, and we all must believe this to be Christians, but the Bible will say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Otherwise, all Scripture is God-breathed. I'm not standing before you just because I thought, well, this sounds like a good topic to talk about tonight. No, but last Wednesday night, Brother Tim asked me and Brother Aaron which one of us wanted to take the service. And immediately God dropped this thought in my heart. And I began to ponder and begin to think about it and begin to pray about it. And God began to drop and drop and drop and drop. Because see, listen to what the word says in 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy, vision. Right. Notice now, came not in old time by the will of man. But by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Brother Tim is not just sitting in the back week after week. You know, just kind of combing through the scriptures and combing through the message and trying to think, well, this sounds really good. Maybe this will excite their faith. No, he's praying for inspiration, for the breath of God to drop down and breathe life into the word that he's ministering, that he's studying on. Because all the scriptures of God are God-breathed, God-inspired, God-anointed for a God-elected people. Oh, hallelujah. But we find the prophecy. The vision came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So God chose man. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all recorded the life of Christ. You tell me, are they all identical, exactly, word, verbatim, verbatim the same? Absolutely not. Does it make one better than the other? Absolutely not. Does it make one right and the other one wrong? Absolutely not. See, if God wanted the Gospels to be a direct historical scientific record of exactly what Jesus did and how he did it, he would only need one. But God chose men. And he chose four to recount the life of Christ. Because those four men possess different characteristics. They say that there's four major human temperaments. There's a saduine, there's a plegomatic, there's the melancholy, and there's the choleritic, or choleric, excuse me. But all these are different. It's, you can have a, a version, a mixture of this one and that one and this one and that one. Some are more detailed. Myself, I'm not a detailed person. I'm going to count it. I don't know how I got there. I may be OCD, but I'm not detailed. Brother Tim, on the other hand, very detailed. He tells a story. You get every detail in the story. Not Joe Adams. I'm getting to the punchline. Because it's my temperament. It's his temperament. It's Brother Aaron's temperament. Yet, it's God's vessels. Each of you out here this evening, you all are of one of those or a mixture of those temperaments. And you look at somebody and say, how can they be like that? God made you like that. God made me like this. But we find, see, their unique personality and their unique temperament is what influenced the way that they recorded the life of Christ. See, it doesn't mean that there's inconsistencies with the word. It just means they had a different viewpoint. Maybe one focused on what he did now. The other one went back into the mind of God. One may look at the very details of minute this and minute that. The other may just look for the punchline. But it's still the word of God. They still recorded the life of Christ. There's not an inconsistency. The inconsistency rests with the doubts and the, the confusion that's planted in the mind by the enemy, church. 
It's not by the word of God. The word of God is God inspired, God breathed, God anointed, and God is here in the end time anointing the people to live under that inspiration. See, the, all these men, notice now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the other ones, they all had strengths. They had strong attributes. And I, you know, but the part that men today don't want to realize is every one of them had a weakness. Moses, can we say that Moses was a great man? Led the children of Israel out of Egypt with a stick in his hand. And yet he had a temper and wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. David, the Bible will say that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he committed adultery and had a man murdered. Wow. Peter denied the Lord three times. But yet he was the spokesman in the upper room. After the Holy Ghost fell. Notice Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the Christians. Of the way. And he consented there to the death of Stephen. And yet God chose Paul to be the messenger of the Ephesian age. And to what? Not only be the messenger, but Paul wrote almost the entire New Testament. Now let's look at Jesus. Notice what he did. He planted a whip. Well, we ain't supposed to have a temper. Platted a whip and beat the men out of the temple. He taught doctrine that was considered blasphemous. He didn't heal everybody, and he didn't when he did heal. Sometimes he healed on the Sabbath day, which was definitely wrong in that time. But yet he was God's agent. It was God coming in human form to redeem fallen man. And if you want to criticize the prophet of the hour, you're going to find criticism with every man that I mentioned. Because let me tell you tonight, church, these men are in fact men. They're men. We all have failures. We all have mistakes. We all have our weaknesses. But yet God, through all of our imperfections, chose to use man. He used the prophets in the old. He used the, 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 the disciples in the New Testament. He used Paul in the New Testament. He used great men. And he's still today using great men with great ministries. They're not all the carbon copy of one another. They're all different, different personalities, different temperaments. Some are moody, some are not moody, some are joyful, some are not joyful. Some are this, some are that, detail, not detail. But yet they're all used of God. Why are you saying this, Brother Joe? Because I don't want you to lose your vision. Oh, take your eyes off of a man and put your eyes on the Word of God. You look at a man, that's all you can see is a man. You'll see his mistakes. You'll see his failures. You'll begin to question his life. But I'm here to tell you, if you put your eyes on the word, you'll see beyond the fail and look to the anointing. You'll look to the servant of God. You'll look to the vessel that God chose in this hour. See, just because God calls a man doesn't mean he's going to walk through this life perfect. Because there was only one that walked through this life perfect. Now we each aspire to be like that one. But he was the fullness of the Godhead. We have it by portion. So every day we got to die to this element of flesh. This vessel. So if the critics want to criticize our prophet, our messenger. They'll find criticism with every man 
that God used in the Bible. Because it's there to criticize. Elijah, a man of like passions. Yet one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And God chose to use the spirit of Elijah five times. So, so we find there, there's a man by the name of Brian Tracy. He was a famous motivational speaker. Notice what he says about the human nature. Your beliefs act as a set of filters that screen out information that is inconsistent with them. Your beliefs act as a filter that screen out information that is inconsistent with them. You do not necessarily believe what you see, but rather you see what you already believe. Okay? And a lot of your beliefs are formed when you're a young person. A lot of your beliefs are formed when you first become a Christian and you're a babe in Christ. And they say, this is how it is. And then you form that belief. So anything you hear after that, if it doesn't sit in with that belief structure, you rule it out and say, that's not of God. Notice here. You know, Brother Branham, or let's just not even say Brother Branham. We'll say the divine healing movement faced so much criticism. Because men could not fathom that God is able and willing and is still healing divinely miracles the way he's done back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Notice here, this is in the message, God projecting his love. Here, there, there hangs that light over a woman. She's suffering with high blood pressure. Stand to your feet. Her name is Miss Fishbrook. You're from this city. You live on a street called 125th Street. Your number of your house is 13104. That's exactly right. If that's right, raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, go home. You're healed, lady. Jesus makes you well. You know, the critics will say he guessed at that. He got lucky. But here you find a complete stranger standing before a man of God and yet five different things he begins to tell on this account, that account, that and have it perfectly right every time. Let me tell you tonight, church, the statistical odds of that are astronomical, impossible. Unless what God inspired it and God anointed it. And that's what we found in this end time. Is that God used a man of such a caliber. It wasn't the man but it was the Holy Ghost. It was God in a man working through a man. Revealing the hearts and desires of the people in this hour. So the reason they couldn't accept divine healing. Because it didn't fit in their belief system. They already had their prejudice made up. God doesn't heal. I have a great friend who's a Baptist preacher. They don't believe in healing the way we believe. They believe if it's God's will to heal, then he'll do it. No, the Bible clearly says that healing is the children's bread and that by my stripes you are already healed. Let me, there's not a question whether it's the will of God to heal. It is the will of God to heal because it doesn't fit in that Baptist mentality or that Baptist theological idea. Then they cast out divine healing and say it's wrong. It's not of God. But because their belief system didn't allow it. And so they didn't see it, the miracles take place. What they saw was, it's against my belief. Therefore, I'm going to cast it out. Notice, some would say, some of the critics would say that 
You know, Brother Branham's gift, he was a, the gift was from God, but he went wrong when he started teaching doctrine. If he had just prayed for the sick, then he'd been all right. Now, I'm preaching to you. Don't lose your vision. We're going to get further into this. That's all right. Notice, so what we're saying tonight is, are these critics that God can anoint a man with such a supernatural gift that he can on every account discern the very thoughts and intents of the heart and never be one time wrong. And yet because it doesn't fit in our belief system and our structure that when he began to teach doctrine, they could see the supernatural. But when he began to teach doctrine and began to preach the word of God, well, you know what? He got off. What kind of God are we serving? I mean, really, this God is that messed up that he can give a man with such a supernatural gift and anointing to bring just mighty miracle service after service after service and discern the very thoughts and intents of the heart. And yet he gets off when he begins to teach the word of God. I don't think these people have clearly thought that logic out. So what you're saying is God purposely gave William Branham the greatest supernatural gift knowing that he was going to end up teaching the people wrong. Come on, church. Don't lose your vision. No. So what you're really telling me is it didn't fit in your belief system. Because your belief system was smarred or was already formed from your, your denominational view. And because this message crossed over the teachings of that denomination. And it, it, it brought a greater revelation of the word. And maybe it didn't line up with the theology and the seminaries of that day. And yet because it didn't fit in the plan of God. They couldn't see the realities of what God was doing in this hour. And therefore they pushed the message aside. And say he was right when he came to divine healing. But he was wrong when he taught the message. But then you had that other group that said he was wrong when he taught divine healing or when he healed the sick. I mean, do we have God all messed up or what? But what we find, see, is that God took an imperfect vessel and brought a perfect message. And God, service after service, takes imperfect vessels and he brings a perfect message. As we heard this past Sunday, abundant life and abundant power. A perfect message. Because it's not these men on the platform. It's not myself. It's not any real God called man of God preaching their own idea and their own thoughts. No, God takes our imperfections and channels it because he placed a gift there. He knew that that gift would have different personalities and different characteristics and would be used in different ways. But yet God can take that characteristic and put a bridle in his mouth and harness it in order to preach a certain way to, a, to minister to a certain people. There's people that I can preach to that these brothers on the platform can't reach because my gift is, is created in such a way that it can go after this one and that one. Whereas Brother Tim and Brother Aries and Brother Timothy's and other brothers, their gift, we're all nature different. They can get people I can't get, but yet we're all needed in the body. Though we may have our imperfections. Let me tell you, you live, you come around me long enough, you're going to realize I got failures, I got faults. You're going to be sorely disappointed. But I'm going to tell you what, you stand around me long enough, you're going to realize I believe this word. I believe that God still heals. I believe that God still saves. I believe that God still says for I believe he's an on-time God. Because God is looking past my failures, and he's looking at the gift that he placed on the inside, and he's using that gift. 
Notice now. We find those that will, they have put their focus, they focused their vision on a man. That's all they could see was a man. Every word he uttered was godly, God divine. That's wrong. That's false teaching. Or let me say erroneous teaching. And you take that man and though they claimed him, and they notice William, William Branham never made himself a God. He never made him. He always pointed us back to, the, to Jesus Christ. He always, I'm listening today to God rich in mercy. And the whole time he's pointing us back to, to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. God rich in mercy. He never said, come to me, come to me, come to my tabernacle. Give me all your money like some of these swindlers are doing out there. No, you got to preach my word or you're going to hell. He never claimed such Tommy Rod as that. No, he always pointed us back to the word, back to Jesus. And yet because they placed him on such a, a caliber and made him more than a man and made him God, when they begin to see his temperament flow out through the message. And his recall may not have been the same every time he retold the same story. Then they claim, well, he's a false prophet. So if he's false, then the message is false. Remember, there's four major temperaments of the human nature. I'm not a detailed person. I'm not going to tell the same story exactly the same every time I tell it. I'm going to the punchline. And if a week from now I'm preaching this, it's the same with preaching. The inspiration comes different. You may see a part of this that is anointed and other parts that are not. But we find here that, that you know, he, his recall wasn't the greatest. And if your vision is on a man, you're going to see every failure, every mistake. You're going to question, you're going to doubt. But if your vision, hallelujah, is on the word of God and not the man, not the sign, but the thing that the sign was pointing to, you will see that God came in this end time. He anointed a vessel and he's turned the hearts of a people back to the faith. You'll look past failures. You'll look past inconsistencies. So they say, you'll look past differences. You'll look past all these things. And you'll look to see, did he point me to the word? Did he point me back to Christ? Did he point me to Calvary? And if you can say yes, then there you go, church. But if he ever pointed to himself, if he ever pointed to a denomination, if he ever pointed to his own idea, then you have a right right then to walk away. But he never. So don't lose your vision when you're hearing everything out there in website land, Wi-Fi land. This critic, that critic, this critic, that one moving, that one leaving, this one, this, that one. Look, let them go. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man or man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. See, he preached the same message Paul preached. He's not pointing you to man. He's pointing you back to God. 
Look here in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost. Verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency and of the power may be of God and not of us. So God uses earthen vessels to proclaim His excellency. See, God always has a way of speaking. He always uses a vessel. And He always uses a man. And that's the way God has always done things. And the Bible would tell us even about Jesus, Isaiah 53 and verse 2, that there is no beauty in Him that, that we should desire Him. See, but the elect of God look beyond the veil. They look beyond the failures. They look beyond the, these little things. And they look to see, was that a man of God? Is that a man of God? Because, see, God anoints him with revelation. God anoints him with the ability to discern the word of God. To know whether he's on the word or off the word. If he's preaching the truth or not the truth. Is he pointing man to himself? Or is he pointing man back to the revelation of the hour? See, that's the thing. But unbelievers... They will see the flaws. They will see the failures. They will see the differences. They will see the mistakes. And they will claim every time that the word is wrong, that the messenger is wrong, and that the message is wrong. But the elect, the elect, the ones that are earnestly contending for the faith, the ones whose heart have been turned back. Notice, if our gospel be hid, it's hid from the lost. But it's not hid to the elect. Because the elect are the ones that it came for. It's the one that it was come. See, God's sovereignty or sovereignly permits the presence of an earthen vessel to proclaim truth in this end time. Notice now, let's just kind of look. Can we just take a minute and look at our messenger? I'm going to get a little bit deeper into this, but we're going to look here just because I think it it allows us to kind of see and have a good, gooder. Yeah, Mississippi upbringing, right? But a better understanding, notice, God uses servants, and all of them have four different temperaments, or a combination of each. Brother Branham's temperament was one that he was not a detailed-oriented person. He would say they would have the Sanjunine kind of, uh, the Sanjunine temperament. He, he was you know, not always accurate in retelling of stories or recounting of events. But did it make him wrong? Did it make his motives wrong because he maybe couldn't understand or maybe he, he missed a piece of the information because, you know, maybe time he was trying to retell it from when he was six and had a vision and now he's 40 and he's trying to retell that same story and, you know, he got the number wrong or he got this right or whatever. The, you know, it may be different, but was his motive wrong? Let me ask you who are critics tonight. Won't you try to tell the same story 15 years from now? And I want to make sure you get it right exactly, verbatim, every time. It's not going to happen. Why will it not happen? Because of this. Called humanity. Maybe your personality is not one that's detailed. Mine's not. But maybe it is. And you need all the facts. You need all the descriptiveness. I'm like, you're boring me to death with all that stuff. Will you just get to the bottom line? <laughs> Don't you hate me? <laughs> get to the bottom line, right? Well, I got a few more minutes. <laughs> but we see we're all different. 
Now, when Brother Bram would tell the story of Congressman Upshaw, he told it almost exactly correct the very first time because it was fresh. But as time went on, the story may have changed a little bit. Maybe there was a new thought that, oh, I remember that. How many of you have ever had a fresh thought on something? You know, because it's God. It's God. And God uses man. But the Bible would tell us in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice, this word deceived there means seduced or beguiled. So we find when the serpent deceived Eve or seduced Eve. First he did it with his words. He planted his reasoning and his doubts. And then the actions followed. And those that used to sit in our pews and a part of our churches who no longer sit there and because now they become the critic, the reason being is because why? It's because they never had that dissolver there and we find they were seduced by doubt of the enemy and they begin to reason and rationalize this and that and the other. And what did their notice? It came in word form first and then the actions followed. But here he's telling us, let no man deceive you, seduce you, because our faith is not in a man. Because if our faith was in a man, you could be seduced, deceived, beguiled. But what we're finding is many have been seduced by doubts. And all these little things are trying to pull apart about the Bible. And things are pulling apart about the message. Notice this word's falling away here. Or this phrase means a defection or an apostasy. The word defection means a conscious abandonment of allegiance or duty. The word apostasy is the act of refusing to continue or obey a a recognized religious faith. So there's a falling away. There's a defection from the truth. Because they never were founded on the revelation. They were founded on intellectualism. Maybe some logical truths about the message. Or maybe they were impressed by the supernatural manifestations, the healings, the miracles that took place. And when Satan would come with a greater argument to another vessel, then all that their intellectual argument that they stood on would crumble. And they begin to falter and begin to doubt. They begin to criticize. We were in bondage all these years. They begin to fall away because their vision was not on the word. Their vision was placed on a man. And when they saw the humanity of the man, then they lost faith and confidence in the word. That's why I'm preaching to you tonight. Don't lose your vision. Your divine communication from God. Don't let the enemy cloud your vision with doubts and and confusion and, and all these different things and begin to question everything. Our faith does not rest on William Branham. Our faith rests on thus saith the Lord. It rests on God Almighty. It rests on Jesus Christ. It rests on this Bible becoming manifestation in body form. 
So it's the enemy's job to plant these seeds of doubt. It's the enemy's job to plant these seeds of discrepancies. And the more that these seeds are watered with your doubts and with your questions and with your ideas and with your reasoning, then all of a sudden what happens is, is it begins to birth itself into a critic. And you find yourself walking out of that church, walking out of that faith, defecting from the truth, claiming that it was a lie the whole time. Can I go a little further? Thank you. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 14. Trying to put all this together for you tonight. Deuteronomy 19 verse 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thy inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess. Now notice, he, we have a declaration here. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. Don't come to my house and pick up my fence and move it. Now landmarks in the Old Testament, they didn't have picket fences. They didn't have wooden fences. No, they had little rocks that they would put out and it would be a boundary. Don't go past this rock. Bam. Or they would set this rock up, a couple rocks on top of each other, as a memorial, as a landmark that something supernatural or something special happened at this point in time. You can go back and you can look to this and you can tell your kids and your kids' kids and that generation and on and on and on that something special took place. We fought the battle. We beat the Philistines. We beat them back right here. And this is the landmark. Oh, hallelujah. But what are men doing today? They're trying to remove your ancient landmarks. They're trying to tell you divine healing is not for the children. I'm going to tell you, it's in the Word. It's a landmark. It's a promise of God. Give me a little volume. Hey, trying to tell you deliverance. You can't be delivered in this end time. You've got to deal with your struggle. I'm going to take. That's a landmark in the Word. Hey, tell you, might as well give up on your kids. Let Dr. Dawson deal with them. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to put the Holy Ghost on their trail. That's a landmark. That they and their offspring shall be there. Miracles is a landmark. Oh, don't let them. Don't take thy neighbor's landmark. Notice what it said. Oh, I love what it says. Nothing, notice, they of old time have said it as an inheritance. Oh, Brother Tim's been preaching about the people book. Oh, talking about a promised land. Talking about a word. Talking about a people to possess the land. We're going to a land. In that land, there's landmark after landmark. There's promise after promise. Sister Atlanta, that's a landmark promise. We can look back in time and history. And when we get five years down the road and somebody else comes to this church or they're facing stage four not lymphoma cancer, we know that God still saved and God still healed and God still delivered. That's a landmark. And don't you let them take that landmark. God put it there. So you can put your vision on it and say, he's God. He healed. He's on the throne tonight. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Joy and peace is a landmark. Revelation of this word. Revelation of who you are is a landmark. Because you can look to Malachi 4 and say, that's for me. You can look. To Luke 17, 30. As it was in the days of the Son of Man. 
God is going to bring somebody. And he's going to be a discerner for the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's a landmark. You can look to Revelations 10. Oh, somebody's going to reveal the mysteries of God. They're all going to be finished before that great and terrible day. Oh, church, these are landmarks. Let me tell you, the genuine Pentecostal experience is a landmark. It's a landmark. What, what, what have they done? The, the, the people that came and the preachers before us, they preached an intellectual gospel. They preached it all the way to the other side of the ditch. They were trying to get away from Azusa Street Pentecost. But I'm here to tell you that the neighbors are back in the church. Oh, we don't only have the mechanics today. We got the word. We got the word, the word, the word. But what we need is the faith to operate that word. But I'm here to put you on notice. The faith is here. The Holy Ghost is here. The landmark is here. You can live above sin. You can live above unbelief. You can live above failure. You can live above depression. Because what? The landmark is here. You can put your vision on it and say, I've seen God. I've seen God at youth camp cast out devils. I was face to face with them and I've seen God deliver. We commanded that thing, you can't touch us. He sat there and tried everything he could, could not scratch us, could not touch us because it's a landmark. Don't you let these critics steal your landmark. Don't you let you, you protect that landmark. What did Abraham do when he, oh, when he had that carcass out there, he began to fan the eagles away, or not the eagles, but the buzzards away, while he was protecting the sacrifice. I'm going to tell you, somebody needs to protect the sacrifice of the word. God put it in his word. He put these precious promises there for somebody to believe. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to believe tonight. I'm going to believe for my children. I'm going to believe for my husband. I'm going to believe for my daughter. I'm going to believe for my wife. I'm going to believe this word because it's in the word that God is here. It's a landmark. All this message ain't about emotionalism, but I'm here to tell you, if you was feeling what I'm feeling, it'll make you jump in that crazy like I'm acting. Because why? Because he's still the Holy Ghost. And he's working through the gift that he placed in me. Oh, they want to say when a man begins to to discern and begin to walk these aisles and he begins to prophesy a little and have discernment, he's stepping off into somebody else's gift. That's only for Brother Branham. I can point you to the word that it's not. Go to Joel 2. Joel 2 verse 28. They want to say it's for Brother Branham. I want to say it's for you. Oh, come on, don't get quiet. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm not looking at a bunch of trees tonight. I'm looking at flesh. I'm looking at human vessels. I'm looking at some some reborn again humanity out there tonight. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall what? Don't tell me it's just for Brother Bradham. It's for whosoever will yield their self as the instrument of righteousness. God is able and God is willing to use you. You dedicate yourself to God. We got a promise. It's a landmark. I had no problems with what a man did several months ago back at our our meeting. Matter of fact, I was glad God still moves that way. God can come by and say, you're going to have it, baby. God can look back there and say, you're going to have that baby. 
God can look at little Drew and say, I've already seen him walking. Oh, what is that? That's landmark. God never took it out of his word. He placed it in there and he anointed a vessel in this. Not everybody has that gift. Oh, but don't you criticize when God decides to use it. You look in here tonight and you see some people you would have never thought of been in this church in a million years. But I look out there and I see a Vic Milton come back and weep his way to Calvary. Let me tell you, it's a landmark that God's going to call the prodigal home. Why do we build this church? It wasn't for you that was saved. It's for the prodigal. They can come home. Because it's a landmark. God's here tonight. God's in Evil Eye Tabernacle. God's doing great things. God is doing extreme things. Oh, he's doing great and marvelous things. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible was saying in 1 John 3 and verse 9, Whosoever is born of God, doeth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Whosoever is born of God, does not commit sin, does not practice sin, does not make a habit of sinning, unbelieving, doing unfit things. Brother Van was saying the message God who is rich in mercy. The worshiper once purged has no more conscience of sin, no more desire. If tonight you've got a desire to sin, it shows you not where you need to be. If tonight your conscience doesn't bother you because you can do this and you can do that, it shows you're missing the mark. But what I'm trying to tell you is don't lose your vision. Get back in step with this word. Brother Bram will say the sin question is over. You become part of God in Christ. Christ died to redeem you. Here he goes. He said, now he went away and made a provide a way for the ones that wanted to come in. That wanted to do that was right. He made a way of mercy for those who desired mercy. And he prepared the ark. He made a way of an escape in the days of Noah. Those that called on him. Those that went into that ark. He made a way. God provided a way of an escape for those that wanted to escape. And I'm going to tell you tonight, Tabernacle. God has provided you in the way for an escape. He has sent you a message. And he sent you a message. And what did he do? He preached a proclaimed word. A promise word of God, a landmark message that you can take around you. You don't have to be hell bound and devil destroyed and sickness in your body or whatever the things may ravage you. You can be born again and the curse of sin be broken off your life. God made a way of escape for his bride because he saw she wanted to be saved. Notice now he would say. But after he has provided a way for the people and they refuse it, there's only one thing left. That's judgment. That's why the Pharisees, they can look in the face of Jesus and say he's Beelzebub. Because there was no life. There was no representation on the inside. That's how they can walk away and criticize because there's no life. That's how you can believe because there is life. But man will say the word heard the word and the word that heard the word came and received the word. See, God has to do the drawing. There has to be a life. That's all that, is, all that he has given to me shall come to me. Notice now, church, what the Bible plainly tells us over and over again. We find here in Colossians 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of, it, of the inheritance of the saints. Notice, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. How many of you have been delivered tonight? Amen. 
delivered from the power of darkness in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Let me tell you, you may look at your failures every morning. You get up in that mirror and you see your old ugly mug and you're like, I'm just a failure. I'm some ransom, no good for nothing, nobody. God don't see that. God sees the blood. God sees perfection. God sees the sacrifice. And God sees you perfect. Oh, hallelujah. Notice, you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, unprovable in his sight. Verse 26. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but now, now, is made manifest to his saints. To whom God will make known what is the riches of his glory, of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Look at your neighbor and you see Christ. I know, brother, it's kind of hard to see it, ain't it? But that's Christ sitting beside you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, I love what the prophet of God would say. He said, the son of God that was in the cradle, he's in the heart now. He's the deity of God. He's the God, the creator. He said, no, all, he, he says, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. But we find now that this creator living in you, giving you all the power. I don't think you recognize the power that you possess as a born again son or daughter of God. Notice what he says. This is in the deity of Jesus Christ. And you're in possession of anything that he had. You're tonight in possession of anything that Jesus Christ had. He had power over the serpent. He had power over demonic forces. He had power over legion. He had power over this one. He had power over that one. I'm going to tell you, you tonight are in possession of everything that he had. You got the power. It lays in you tonight because the mystery no longer is up in there. Who's going to do this and who's going to do that? But the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice now, men and women, it's time that you found out who you are. The devil's trying to hide you back, tell you that you're some little trod down something. You're not. You're sons and daughters of God. Deity is not in heaven. Deity is in you. Oh, we want to bring deity down, call God down. No, God, deity's right here. Notice what he said. He's the creator of all things. He made little... He made life, frogs and all these ducks and chickens and animals, created everything, and nothing was made but was made by him. Who? Christ, the deity. He brought down plagues and everything in the days of Egypt. Who? Christ. He stopped the mouths of lions. He quenched the violence of fire. He escaped the edge of the sword. They raised from the dead, from the, they raised the dead from the grave. Who? Christ. Oh my. What would it be? Who is it? It's Christ, the deity. And brother and sister, that deity is in you tonight. Quit looking at your failures. Quit looking at your mistakes. Quit looking at your humanity. And look to what the word says about it. Put your vision back on who God said you are. All that God was, he poured into Christ. And all that Christ was, he pours into the church. Let me just try to find me a place to start bringing this down. Now about you tonight. This is in the message. The Pergamum Church Age. Pick up your pen and write. In the last days of true bride church, Christ's seed 
will come to the headstone and she will be the super church. You're not some weak church. You're not some downtrodden people. You're not some church of some bygone days believing some crazy doctrine. No, but you're a super church, a super race. And she nears him. They and the bride will be so much like him that they will even be in his very image. This is in order to be united with him. They will be one. They will be the very manifestation of the word of the living God. And from this little group of true seed of the word, God will present Christ with a beloved bride. She is virgin of his word. She is virgin because she knows no man's creeds or dogmas. By and through the members of the bride will be fulfilled all that was promised of God to be made manifest in a virgin. He goes, the members of this virgin bride will love him. They will have his potentials for he is their head and all the power belongs to him. They are subject to him as members of our bodies are subject to our head. He shows her his word, uh, words of life. She receives it. She never doubts it. Amen. Therefore, nothing can harm her, not even death. For if the seed be planted, the water will raise it up again. Here is the secret. The word is in the bride. It was in Mary. The bride has the mind of Christ. She knows what he wants done with the word. She performs the command of God or the command of the, command of the word in his name. And she has thus saith the Lord. See, the word is quickened by the Spirit and comes to pass like a seed that's planted and water it comes to the full harvest serving its purpose. Those in the bride do only His will. No one can make them do otherwise. They have thus saith the Lord or they keep still. They know that it has to be God in them doing the works, fulfilling His own word, that He did not complete all His work while He was here in His earthly ministry. So now He works, notice, in and through His bride. He's here tonight working in and through his bride. He's working in and through fallen humanity. Humanity that has imperfections. Humanity that has flaws. Humanity that has weaknesses and shortcomings. And yet the Bible will say, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Now. Don't put this off in the millennium. Right now, you're sons of God. You don't need to be a son of God in the millennium. You need to be a son of God now. See, right now. See, you're not going to be, but you are now sons of God. If you have eternal life, how many of you have eternal life tonight? Then you always had it. You know what the devil tries to do? The devil tries to bring you, he tries to remind you of your past. Well, you did this. Right, Brother Sherman? Man, he beat you up over your past. Well, you did this. What about it, Brother Johnny? You did this, Brother Vic. You did this. You smoked. You drank. You committed this. And you did that. You ran with women. And you ran with men. And you, you told lies. And you did all these other kind of things. And the devil's always taking you back to your past. You know what you need to do tonight? Is remind the devil of your past. Did you hear what I said? Remind the devil of your past. In your past, you was in the mind of God. In your past, you never committed the first mistake. In your past, you were justified. Though you never done it in the first place. In your past, you were glorified. I'm going to tell you, it's time tonight that you remind the devil. Your past is now your future. And there's a rapture that's been created for somebody tonight. If you just focus your vision back on the word of God. Oh, take them back to your past. Let me tell you, devil, don't you stop at my failure. Don't you stop at my sin. Don't you stop at my drug. Let me take you all the way back. Amen. 
Let me take you back when God was thinking about me and he put mountains over there because he knew I like mountains. Oh, he was thinking about me. Let me tell you tonight, church. Satan's going to tell you, well, someday you'll do this. Someday you're going to be this. I'm going to tell you tonight, you are now sons and daughters of God. Every mistake erased. Everything stricken off with an abstract title deed to eternal life. And notice, let's go through here as I bring this to a close. Ephesians 1, let's look what the word says about you. You're blessed with all spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. You've been chosen in verse 4 before the foundation of the world. Now, now, devil, you can't have me because I was already chosen. I was already in the mind of God. I was already a thought. I was already an expression. And what am I doing now? Only expressing what I'm doing on the other side. I'm reflecting now in, in this life my worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Notice verse 5. You've already been predestinated to the adoption of children. Notice verse 6. You've already been accepted in the beloved. Oh, I hope you're catching the vision tonight of what the divine communication is telling you. Verse 7. You've been redeemed through his blood. Your sins have been forgiven. Look what he says in verse 11. You have an inheritance because you've been predestinated according to the purpose. God purposed you here tonight for the final age, for the final leg of the race. God chose. He didn't choose the fastest or the the strongest or the best runner, but he chose those that were the fastest. He chose those that knew they could get the job done. They were going to overcome adversity. They were going to come depression. They were going to overcome conflict. They were going to come everything that lay on the sea with throw but they're going to keep going and keep running because they've been anointed. They've been elected. They've been chosen by God. They've been accepted. They've been accepted in the beloved they've been redeemed tonight that devil ain't got no hold on you he's got no hold on we got a word we got a word sickness can't hold you I mean sickness can't hold you we got a word tonight we're free tonight free to love God free to worship God free to serve the God that's who we are that's the children of God We've been made alive, church. You're not dead in sins and trespass, but we've been made alive. We've been quickened. Not by the words of a man, but by the Spirit of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, listen to what he says in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now, Christ Jesus, who you who were sometimes far off, had been made nigh. He brought you. He was out there in sin, Brother Vic, but he didn't leave you. He said, come nigh through the blood. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 16, 2 and verse 16, that he might reconcile both. You've already been reconciled. Verse 19, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens. Oh, you have access. Oh, you have access to everything in this land. You're a fellow citizen. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You don't have to watch what you do. No, you walk in this land, it belongs to you. You want to go pick grapes, go pick grapes. You want to pick a promise off the word, pick a promise. It belongs to you tonight. Oh, church, 
Oh, listen what he says now. You've been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief corner. Notice, in whom you also are built together for a habitation, a family of God through the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Let me bring this down. Satan tries to battle you. Tries to remind you of your past. Brother Bram would say a warrior. He says a warrior, he, he looks at the enemy and says, what past? That's what you need to do tonight is what past? I'm justified. I'm glorified. I'm already seated in heavenly places. So when the enemy attacks you, what do you do tonight? Take the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. Paul Church, and he said, Brother Brown will say, what does the Spirit fight with as the musicians make their way back? He goes, what does the Holy Spirit fight with? Sensations and feelings? No. Your sensations and your feelings will beat you around a stump. Oh, but what do they fight with? The Word. What does the Word fight with? The word fights with the word. Excuse me. What does the spirit fight with? It fights with the word, the word, the word, the word. The spirit of God rocks. The said, "The spirit of God walks right up to the devil and said, it's written." So Solana, he told you that he would fight your battle, but you had to take God at His word. And said, God, if you're going to fight this battle, then you've got to do something supernatural. And what did He do? Honored His word. Sister Karen, when I saw that scan of that brain bleed about that big around, and the doctor says, man, there ain't much they can do. It's pretty much hopeless. But God said, I'll fight your battle. See, the doctor, they're looking at the report. They're looking at the report. Sister Mariah, they're looking at the report. Brother David Dexter, looking at the report. God ain't looking at their reports. His vision ain't on the report. His vision is on the word. And what does the word fight with? What is the spirit inside of you supposed to fight with? With the word, it is written. Cancer under my feet. Alopecia under my feet. Brain bleeds and aneurysms under my feet. Eye diseases cause me to go blind under my feet. Demon powers lashing out at youth camp under our feet. Why? Because the word of God will defeat Satan any time, any place, on any ground. And he's here tonight to defeat your enemy. But you've got to focus your vision back to the word. As I close tonight, I have many more places, many more things, and I want to end with this. In the greatest battle ever fought, Brother Bam was talking about Caesar. He said, after a great battle, he goes, I want one of my most famous warriors to ride with me in this great celebration of triumph over the enemy. And every one of the officers trimmed their plumes and shined their shields and they marched by, you know, like that. He said, real soldiers like that. And after a while, a little old fella come by. He was all cut. My, he just kind of looked up and started on like that. And Caesar said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where did you get those scars? Where did you get those scars tonight? He said, out on the battlefield. That's where he got his scars. 2019, you was on the battlefield, church. 
Some of you faced battles that some of us others didn't face. Some of you are facing battles tonight that some of us were not facing. But where do you get the scars? It's not on the mountaintops. It's not in the pleasant places at home, but it's on the battlefield. Caesar looked at him and he said, climb up here. You're going to be the guy that's going to ride with me. And I'm going to show you out through the land. You see, God has chosen those that are willing to sacrifice for him. This being a bride of Christ is not an easy path. There's going to be a lot of battles, scars, young people. Things are going to try to cloud your vision. Pornography and this and that and all these things. Those are scars. Sister Orlando, there's going to always be a fear that cancer is going to try to come back. But he's been defeated once. He can be defeated again and again and again and again and again. Because it's a landmark. God placed it there for this church. And not only for this church, this, this church has a worldwide ministry. There's going to be believers everywhere I go. They know Sister Lana. They know Sister Mariah. They've heard the story of Sister Karen. They know a little Drew. Landmark. And yet, we're battle scarred, Brother Tim. Sister Candace, you're battle scarred. You've been longing for that baby for a long time. God's saying, come on, ride up here with me. I'm going to show you throughout that I'm still God. I'm still sitting on the throne. You need healing tonight? Come on, ride up here with me. I'm going to show you throughout the land. I'm not only going to show what you're going to do in this church, but I'm going to broadcast you around the world. That he defeats cancer. He defeats alopecia. He defeats brain bleeds. He defeats eye trouble. He defeats depression. He defeats anxiety. And he defeats pornography. He defeats fear. He defeats complexes. But you got to focus your vision back to what the Word says about you. You know what it says about Christ. You see the scriptures that point to our prophet. But what about the ones that point to you? What about the ones that declare you to be an overcomer when you're battle scarred, when you've been tried? All church, he's saying, come on. Come on up here. Let me parade you around the world. Let me show not only what I'm doing in Evening Light Tabernacle, let me tell you what I'm doing in Japan. Let me show you what I'm doing in Belgium. Let me show you what I'm doing in France. Let me show you what I'm doing down in, in the Ivory Coast of Africa. I get reports back every day from Ivory Coast. Supernatural things taking place. Little kids, discerning, calling out, seeing different things. Supernatural things taking place. Much like our meetings, we had people just dancing all in the spirit. God is sweeping through the land, church. This ain't just for this church, but this is a worldwide ministry. See, when the battle's over, we're going to wear a crown. Oh, my Brother Brown say, soldiers of the cross this morning, pull that armor of faith out here and get a hold of this weapon. Pull out your weapon. Pull out your weapon tonight. Come on, you got your Bibles with you tonight? Pull your weapon out. I'm closing. This is your weapon. This is what you fight with. You can't fight with an idea, but you can fight with this word. 
But the Bible says, pull that weapon and say, God, I don't care what the devil says about me, how much anybody else says about me, I'm believing tonight. I'm believing tonight. The devil may have tried to get you to doubt your healing. He may have tried to get you to doubt that you're even a child of God. He may have tried to confuse your mind with all the negativity surrounding this message, criticizing this one. He may have tried to point you to the failures of somebody who used to preach this message and he's fallen in disgrace. He may have tried to crown your life with complexes and depression and guilt. But I'm here to tell you tonight, some of you need to stand and say, God, I'm pulling my word out tonight. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to believe no matter what the devil says about me, no matter what the critics say about me. I believe believe this message. I believe that God still heals. I believe that God still delivers. I believe that God still sets free. I believe that God still saves. God still fills with the Holy Ghost. I believe that God still restores the whole. God still calls back the prodigals. I believe that God is calling men to preach this God. I believe that God is filling young people with the Holy Ghost. I believe tonight God. I believe tonight because I'm putting my focus on the word. I'm lining up my vision Lord with thus saith the Lord. And as I go through 2020, oh God, let me see the, let me see the victories. Oh Lord, I believe tonight that the dynamics, brother Mike, come on. I believe tonight that the dynamics are back in the church. I believe we can be the church that God wanted us to be. Let me just tell you tonight as I leave, everything that God ever aspired to do in this element of time it's been for you right here tonight every prophet he has ever sent every message that's ever been preached is to attract the attention of this bride pull your sword little bride and say I believe tonight I believe Lord I'm not looking at the critics. I'm not looking at the naysayers. I'm not looking at all the negativity. I'm looking at your word. I'm looking at the Son of God being formed in my humanity. I'm looking at deity made in my made humanity, Lord. I'm looking at and not at my failures, not the failures of man, but I'm looking back to the word and everything the word has for me tonight. The land is ours, church. It belongs to you tonight. We're inheritance of the land. Let me tell you, rise to your feet tonight and claim that inheritance. Claim that promise. Thank God I'm taking it tonight. I believe your word. I believe it tonight. It's for me. It's for my family. Believe it tonight. You want them sons back? Believe it tonight. The devil said you can't have them, but God said yes you can. Oh, that's right. The devil's going to tell you you can't have them, Sister Rita, but the word says you can. That day and their offspring shall be there. Don't you look at the negativity. Don't you reason with God. Don't you doubt. You cast all your doubts aside and say, God, I believe. I believe tonight. I believe you're the same. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're my healer. I believe you're my deliverer. I believe tonight. God bless you, brother. I believe. I believe. I believe.